Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts, I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we are coming to you in a timely manner this week, as we promised we would. Uh, we had the NL and ALDSs, the Divisional Series in Baseball, finish up this week. So we needed to get this news out to you fast. Um, we're here on Monday night, the 12th, recording this for you. And we've got, as you can imagine, a great episode coming your way. Sam, walk us through what we got going on. So we're going to start by talking about the conclusion of the NBA Finals, which saw the Los Angeles Lakers defeat the Miami Heat in six games. We're going to talk a little about what this win means for the legacy of LeBron James. We're then going to go quickly through what's happened in the NFL in the past week and then get into some baseball. So we're going to go over what we thought about what happened in the division series and then give you a little preview as to what we think is going to happen in the championship series, which have already started. The Rays have already taken a 2-0 lead on the Astros in the ALCS, and we're going to have the game one of Atlanta Braves versus Los Angeles Dodgers on while we record. So if anything interesting happens in that game, we'll let you know. And then an, another another week, another couple deaths of some all-time baseball greats. It's kind of crazy how yeah. this is happening, but yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about Y.U. Ford and Joe Morgan, two more Hall of Famers who have unfortunately passed away. Before we do that, Sam, I just want to make sure we get into very quickly – um, we did a live watch of the ALDS between the Yankees and the Rays the last game. And I just want to give you guys a little preview of what that sounds like before we post the full clip. So you'll be hearing more of this later. But here's some of the uh, highlights of what we talked about the other day. Let's go, Red! Let's go, Red! These are two guys who just made money <laughs> okay. and got a free bet. No, I, I, I only make bets where they round up a song. <laughs> right? Who is the NBA player in history who most look like an alien? There are only two right answers. Sam Cassell. Kwame Brown. Rambo is a legit good and thoughtful movie. No, it's a yeah, I just want to um, orient you guys really quick because as Sam mentioned, we have game one of the NLCS happening right now to put you uh, kind of in frame of what's going on so that when we shout at you, you understand what we're saying. The Atlanta Braves leave one nothing on a Freddie Freeman first inning blast off of Walker Bueller, the Dodgers starters. Max Freed started for the Braves. Uh, he cruised through one. He's now got a runner on first and one out, 0-2 count on Kike Hernandez in the bottom of the second. So we'll keep our eye on this and we'll let you know. But for now, we're going to get into the NBA because the finals concluded last night. And guess who did it? <laughs> guess who took it home? LeBron James. And the Lakers, a man who came to this Lakers team, it was a bit of a work in progress last year. They accelerated that work in progress by nabbing one of the best five players in the world. That was enough for LeBron, who was able to turn this into a, uh, uh, a championship that, uh, different than baseball, I actually doesn't 
I don't believe it needs an asterisk um, in the same way that maybe a baseball championship does this year. They played all 82 games. They had a very normal NBA format. I think maybe the only thing that you can knock up there um, is the lack of home field advantage. But seeing as it went both ways and in the instance of the Lakers and the Heat, I might even argue that the Lakers were at a disadvantage by not having home field advantage here. To me, this is a totally legitimate championship as the uh, Lakers beat the Heat in six games. Uh, I'm wondering what you think about the legitimacy before we go into the details. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, in basketball, it's home court advantage, not home field advantage. Uh, Everything's a baseball game to me. <laughs> Second of all, I, I totally agree. Uh, the NBA season is already way too long. Like they can yeah. cut out 20 games and there's not really going to be a difference as to like who's making the playoffs for the most part. Second of all, the NBA playoffs are extremely good at determining the better team. A seven-game series is is basically long enough to to have a pretty good determination of which team's better. Now you might you might say it's illegitimate in that like there was this long layoff period. It allowed certain teams to get healthy. Certain teams lost their chemistry. But you know, like you said, like I view this as a totally legitimate championship. And if anything, you know, it's it really shows. Like the NBA is such a, a chemistry league that it really rewarded teams that were able to pull that out in, in the bubble. Yeah, I think the Heat maybe are the poster child for that. Um, their opponents in the uh, championship series, the Celtics may be the poster child on the other side, a team that looked like they were gelling a lot better before um, the bubble came to pass. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And this is Braun's fourth championship now, a guy whose numbers are just obviously through the roof, right? Like he has put up historic numbers for his whole career. He's played thousands and thousands of more minutes than anybody else in basketball since he came into the league because of all the time he spent in the playoffs. He's lost a lot of finals, no doubt. But with the fourth win, um, to me, this just kind of takes LeBron, uh, cements him in that position of, at least for our generation, he is the unquestionable GOAT. Um, there are going to be some people who saw Michael play, like really saw Michael play, who are always going to have that love and admiration for him and are always going to place him above or equal to Braun. But I think when you look at stats uh, combined with success and you just talk about the best basketball player ever to step on the court, it's got to be LeBron. LeBron's 35 years old. In, in NBA finals, he just averaged about 40 minutes a game 30 points a game, 12 rebounds a game, and eight and a half assists a game. He did this while shooting 59% from the field and 42% from three for a true shooting percentage of 67%. Are you kidding me? I mean... Are you kidding me? It's just insane. And, you know, there's no sign of him slowing down. When things are all said and done, he is going to have the most points in NBA history. He will probably be – I'm actually not sure where he is in assists in NBA history, but he'll probably end He's up – He's close. He, he might end up as the all-time leading assister in I, NBA history. It'll be pretty hard to pass – it'll be pretty hard to pass Stockton on that. But yeah, that's he fair. will probably end up in the top two to three in assists. He's currently eight. Yeah. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because he needs over 6,500 – or just under 6,500 assists to pass him. So that's going to be really difficult. I take that back. Yeah, okay. Um, 
But I think Stockton's like way ahead, right? Stockton is uh, about 3,800, 3,700 assists ahead of uh, number two, which is Jason Kidd. Yeah, so so number two is totally in range for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he has four championships. There's no reason to think he can't win another one next year or, or a yeah. couple more if Anthony Davis stays. He's made- or, or if they just go out and get somebody else. It's the NBA. You know, it, it, there's always the possibility that they're just going to sign – like one of the best players in the planet as a free agent, if not next year in the following year. He's made 10 championships and nine in the last 10 years. Um, I mean, what else is there to say? And then here, here's the scary part. He is such a smart basketball player that given what he is at 35, he could decline a lot like a lot mm-hmm. and still be a very, very serviceable player on a championship level team. I could see him doing that when he's 45. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It sounds like hyperbole because the statement is so insane, but I agree 100%. Like if you see him at age 45, if you don't think that LeBron at age 45 could do, I mean, essentially whatever he wants, drastically change his body, change his play type so that he's a, you know, a big man who rebounds and puts balls back or a quarter three shooter on a team when he's 41, 42, 43, 44, 45 years old, you haven't watched him play. Because honestly, I don't believe there is a a player on the planet right now who understands the game as well as he does, who is just freakishly athletic enough to remake himself in any way as he does. You saw him bulk up in, in past seasons. You saw him slim down for future seasons. Like, he does whatever he wants to his body. He has the ability to do that. He trains himself at the highest level. He could do whatever he wants. I think, I really believe he'll play in the league until his son comes into the league. I, well, I think the, that's his goal. The bigger question there is if his son makes the league. But uh, uh, Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, uh, but uh, along that point, he has now played with four very different superstars in his career in uh-huh. Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis, all very, very different players. And he's played incredibly well with all of them. So it's not as if you need, he needs a very specific skill set next to him, like moving forward. Like he can mend his game to what his team needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, okay. So we, we've said many times on this podcast, we both think he's the GOAT. Now, the Jordan stands will say something like this. In game five of the of the finals, the Heat the the Lakers had a chance to put it away. They're down one. They have the last possession. LeBron drives, gets double teamed, and he passes it. And they might say, "Yeah, that was the right basketball play. He got a wide, 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 wide open shot for Danny Green, who is one of the greatest three point shooters in finals history." Danny Green missed the shot badly. And then Markeith Morris threw one of the worst passes I've ever seen. And the game was over. Uh, but a, but a, a Jordan supporter might say, you know, good basketball be damned. Michael's taking that shot and making it. Why, why are they wrong? Because when you're talking about they, – they were down two, right? They needed a three. They're down one. They were down one. I mean, 
when you talk about the type of player LeBron is, there's no question that LeBron and MJ are different types of basketball players. MJ could score at will. You know, he was somebody who was so tenacious, so focused on a singular goal of putting the ball in the basket. Um, And he adapted a bit throughout his career, moved the ball a little bit more, no question. He was a good all-around basketball player. But he was singularly focused on scoring. It's my personal opinion that LeBron's ability to make that pass makes him a better basketball player. Because at the end of the day, he made the play that gave his team the best chance to score. Could he have hit the shot to win? Maybe. But when he passed to Danny Green, who, as you mentioned, is a top three-point shooter in NBA Finals history, there was no one within five feet of him. When you talk about an uncontested shot, that was truly uncontested. And it's not like he passed it to Dwight, who obviously wasn't on the floor. But it's not like he passed it to some third rate. That's like the other guy that you probably want taking that shot. You know, it's not Rajon Rondo. Like, he made the best possible basketball play. It's basketball, so sometimes it's going to go in, sometimes it's not. But to me, that's an argument for LeBron. Like, telling me MJ would have forced that shot, and maybe it would have gone in, but he still forced it, and it's, so it's a low-percentage shot. Sorry, that, that's not endearing to me. I, I, I totally agree with you. But then second of all, I would say that there are two very famous scenarios where MJ passed to a teammate in, in John Paxson and Steve Kerr, and they made the big shot. Yeah. And yeah. somehow MJ is and somehow MJ point. is getting credit because his teammate made the shot, but you want to criticize LeBron because his teammate missed it. It doesn't make any sense at all. You know, yeah. to dispel the other MJ argument, it's oh, he couldn't lose in the playoffs. He was he was six and zero in the finals. Yeah, well, you he know, lost a ton in the playoffs before he got to the finals. Exactly. And and the idea that somehow losing before the finals is better than losing in the finals is insane. By that logic, Giannis had a better playoffs than Jimmy Butler. Right. right. Which is which is insane. Like that logic and, only gets applied to knock LeBron. Sam, I'm actually glad you brought that up because we do have to jet from this a bit. But before we go, I want to shout out the Heat here and some specific guys because yeah, it was a six game series. But Jesus Christ, did this Heat team get underappreciated coming into the playoffs? They, they came through some really hard competition in the East, which is not something you normally say. And in the first game, they lose two of their most important players, number two and three on their roster behind Jimmy Butler. And they still found a way to salvage uh, two games out of this thing. And uh, honestly, like, it, it's impressive. Jimmy Butler for the series, um, he was scoring, he was playing 43 minutes a game. So you know how much they needed him. He was always on the floor. That's incredible, folks, to play 43, average, 43 minutes a game. He was putting up 26. He was grabbing eight boards. He was dishing almost 10 dimes. And then Tyler Hero was obviously great. Um, Bam was obviously playing hurt. But the guy that I really want to shout out is Goran Dragic, because we talked about him before on this show. You and I both acknowledged that he really wanted to come back. He was going to try to come back but that he tore the ligament, he tore his plantar fasciitis ligament. Like it was not an injury that he was supposed to come back from. The doctors told him you can't make it any worse if you play in game six, Um, but it's going to hurt like hell. And you could see that it hurt like hell, but he went out there and he played and was it the best possible option for his team based on how he played? I I don't know. Um, The game 
the, the game was non-competitive from the start though yeah so like maybe mm-hmm. maybe not but like you just really have to respect that in someone to see especially in a non-competitive game he kept coming out um he may not have played in the fourth quarter but he came out for the majority of the game and he was just in a hell of a lot of pain and he played right through it so it's a shout out to heat team which I respect the hell out of, I think that they, you know, they've got a great organization. I love the players on their team. I think they're super fun to watch. Um, and I, you know, I kind of hope they get one in these coming years with this, with this group. That'd be fun to see. So we'll have to yeah. watch that. And I'll note that game four was, was really close for a lot of the game that easily could have gone the heat, the heat's way, which would have made it a totally different series. Yeah. Uh, game six was a disappointment. I think they had just expended so much energy getting to that point you could tell jimmy didn't quite have the same legs he had in in the other games he's playing 43 minutes a game yeah uh but yeah it was sad to see them go out that way but it it was a really great series and like you said a fun team one lebron stat before we moved on that i read on twitter i forget who i saw that posted this uh in this century lebron james has 11 triple doubles in the finals all other players combined have 10. Yeah. No, I saw that. All right. <laughs> I definitely saw that. All right, let's move on to the NFL. <laughs> All right, so we had a little bit of week five action this week. Actually, it's still going on. I also have the Saints-Chargers game up. It's looking 6-3 right now for the Chargers, so we'll keep you up to date on that. Um, but just a quick whip around. The Bears upset the Bucks in a game that Tom looked like he forgot to take his ginkgo biloba. He was out there. He didn't know what was going on. Um, the Texans, oh, those crazy Texans. They finally snagged one from the Jags. Uh, the Ravens beat down the Bengals. The Panthers blew what I thought was the safest line in football. Um, it was Falcons at minus two and a half, and uh, they lost, actually, by seven points. So that was brutal for the Falcons, who are now 0-5. And, and your DraftKings balance. It was not great for the DraftKings balance. I played a little parlay on that boy. Um, but here's another game that was in that parlay. I had the Chiefs as my safety bet in the parlay, and the Chiefs get upset by the Raiders, 40 to 32. Um, you saw some, you know, good plays from Derek Carr. You saw Josh Jacobs run hard. But what you really saw was, and it, you know, it's hard to say with a 32, uh, 32 points on the board, but the Raiders D kind of locked down when they needed to. They found a way at the end of the game to contain Mahomes, and that was the difference maker because the Chiefs had a legit shot at it. Um, a couple picks really changed the game. A one big pick by a linebacker at the end. Um, but boy, that was that was a thriller. And to Sam's point last week, Sam shouted out last week. I, I didn't know the Raiders might be legit. Yeah, and and the Chiefs had twenty four points at halftime. So so the defense really clamped down in the second half. Exactly. The Raiders got some sort of wide open deep balls over the Chiefs secondary. The def- the Chiefs defense was a little worrisome. Uh, it was it was just weak deep. They looked fine mid-range, but they really got hurt deep. And that's that's unusual for Tyron Matthew, who is one of the better safeties in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and this is now a couple straight weeks where it seems like a defense has, like, a little bit figured out the Chiefs offense. Obviously, you're not going to figure them out completely. Mahomes is, is the best quarterback in the NFL. And they run so much motion and so many different plays on similar motion. You really It's really hard to yeah. know what they're going to do. But but it did seem like maybe the the Raiders took a bit out of out of Bill Belichick's book. Who Bill Bill Belichick's all, always going to find a way to exploit a team's weakness. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how you know 
if other teams keep going with a similar defensive strategy and if and if Andy Reid and, and Eric Bieniemy can adapt, which I think they will, they're two of the most yeah. creative play callers in the league. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the Chiefs. I'm not worried were, about the Chiefs. Yeah, it was a great game. Um, in the NFC West, you had uh, my Arizona Cardinals uh, just absolutely uh, demolishing the Joe Flacco-led Jets this week. Uh, Sam told me that he was happy about it because he's rooting for the tank. He's tanking for Lawrence. Um, on the other side of the NFC West, you have the Rams beating uh, the Washington Football Club by 30 uh, to 10, the exact same score. Steelers took care of the Eagles. Dolphins blew the Niners out of the water. Let's go, Miami. 22 points for Jason Sanders at the kicker spot on my fantasy team this year. Pulled out a win for me this week. Sorry, this we'll, week. Be getting to, we'll be getting to fantasy in a sec, Sam. Um, Cowboys eke out a win against the Giants, but the big news in this game, besides for the Giants squandering their only hope at winning that dismal, disgusting division, um, is that unfortunately Dak Prescott goes down. He's having surgery on his ankle tonight, actually, or uh, last night. I think it it already happened, yeah. Yeah, it went down last night. Um, All the signs point to positive uh, outcomes. It looks like he may even play again this year, which is crazy. It looked pretty bad on the field. Um, And Truly couldn't happen to a better guy from all accounts. The respect for Dak Prescott around the league um, is tremendous. Uh, you saw the concern with Miles Garrett, the or not <laughs> Miles Garrett, um, uh, Jason Garrett, Garrett, Jason Garrett. Princeton the, alumni. Yeah, the old coach for the Cowboys, current coach for the Giants. He is a Princeton alumna. Um, this is a guy that everybody really respects, so we hope he gets better soon. But that Cowboys team, even with the dismal start by them, the rest of the, the rest of their division had started so poorly. You still had to think this is a team that's probably going to end up walking away with the division. They do have one of the best backups in football and Andy Dalton. Um, and I, I believe that uh, wholeheartedly, but I, I do still think it leaves the door open for teams like the Eagles um, who I cannot believe could still be in it at one and four, but they are. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll have to see what comes out of this division, but it's, it's ugly. Did you see what, what Tony Romo, who I think is, is one of the, is the best football announcer there is. Did you see what Tony Romo said after the Dak injury? No. What did he say? Dak's lying there on the ground with his ankle pointing in not the direction that your ankle is supposed to be pointing. I, I mean, to be charitable to Tony Romo, he must've not seen that, but he mm. goes, you got to hope it's a cramp. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I, 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 think, I think he saw Dak go down, didn't see that his ankle was pointing sideways and was hoping that, like, he was on the ground because of a cramp. Like, yeah. I, I'm not attributing anything bad to Tony Romo. Like, I, it wasn't really in poor taste because I don't think he realized what was going on. But, right, but, but it is funny when you, when you see the image. Um. Finishing up with what we've got, the Browns beat the Colts, making sure that I lost all three legs of that parlay that I mentioned earlier. I had the Colts money line in that game. Um, And then the Seahawks with a thrilling victory against the Vikings. And I waited last night. (laughs) I was like a hawk on my phone, just waiting for the Seahawks to get over plus 300 because they were down all game. And I knew that DraftKings was going to get them. Um, And I finally got them at like plus 275 or something put the house on him, came home with some cash. Uh, you got to love to see that. What's the house? 30 cents? No, no, no. I put 350 on it. 
Damn, that's a big yeah, maybe that's a big bet. <laughs> um, and then of course to round the week out, we have the Chargers currently playing the Saints and the Bills um, playing the Titans tomorrow. Maybe COVID pending, we'll have to see if that game even plays out. Um, so that's your quick whip around. Uh, if you have any thoughts on the NFL, if you want to hear us talk about something in the NFL, NBA, or the MLB, make sure you're reaching out to us on Twitter at the Alonzo Bet or emailing us the Alonzo Bet at gmail.com. Um, but before we get out of the football world, uh, I should let our viewers know that I'm in three fantasy leagues. In two of them, I'm in first place. I have the best record in the league and I have the most points scored. And in one of them, uh, I happen to be 0-4. Oh, I have the best 0-5, oh, soon to be 0-5. Oh, it's not official yet, but soon to be 0-5. Oh, I have the best team in this league, um, but I just keep getting unlucky. And this happens to be the league that I play with Sam. So what we're going to do real quick is I'm going to try and get, because let me explain the situation to you guys. Um, my team is absolutely loaded with wide receivers. I have Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, and Julio Jones. So I have four, or I have three of the current top 25 wide receivers, plus Julio Jones, who has just been absolute garbage, but is supposedly one of the best wide receivers for fantasy football. Um, this, by the way, is to compliment Deshaun Watson, Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, Zach Ertz. You may be asking yourself, how could this guy be 0-5? He has one of the greatest fantasy football teams I've ever seen in a 12-person league. But, you know, you get lucky. You get really unlucky with Julio. You get really unlucky with Nick Chubb. You get pretty unlucky with Zach Ertz. And you get pretty unlucky with Deshaun Watson. And, and what are you going to do? But so I need to shake things up. I need to change the locker room up. So I'm going to try and get Sam to trade me somebody on his mediocre team right now. My, um, I'm three and two now. Sam's three and two now. And so I'm looking at Sam's team. I need a running back. I know he's not going to trade me Edwards Hilaire. Because that's his number one running back. So I'm going to shoot a little bit lower on the totem pole for a guy that I honestly don't want. Okay. I have no interest in this player, but I need running backs and I need them now. JG Wentworth, I need running backs now. Um, so what I'm going to do, Sam, is I'm going to tell you that I would love to take Devin Singletary, who, let me remind you, I don't want. And Daryl Henderson, I'll take them off of your hands. Right? Wait, I, I don't have a, another running back to play after I get rid of those two. You do, though. You have uh, Daryl Williams. He's, I only have him as the handcuff to Clyde. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> well, you're a bad trade partner for me because I absolutely need a running back. I, I, already, I already traded Joe Mixon to Jorgen for George Kittle. Okay, so here's the thing. Daryl Henderson obviously went off last week he's one of the best running backs in football with over three 20 point games you go ahead and slide him into that number two spot um and i will give you justin jefferson for devin singletary mm, i'm good wow and you see this is this is what i'm working with folks we're talking about a devin singletary who has not been good this year who will not be good this year because zach moss is coming back and taking more touches away from him Sam misses a massive opportunity to get a uh, freshman wide receiver before he takes off. And th this is what makes or breaks championships right here, folks. You know, I'm, I'm going to think a little bit about it. So okay. I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to agree to this trade right now. 
because uh, that would be some audio evidence. <laughs> but but I will uh, I'll take a look at what I think about Justin Jefferson. I, I to be honest, I, I don't have a strong enough opinion on him right now. Let me do some research. Yeah. Okay. You let, you let me know what you're thinking. Um, the thing is, I, I like I like sort of being able to play either Henderson or Singletary with matchups. Like I'm not super comfortable with with putting either of them out there every week. So I, I understand that, and that's why I mentioned you're not my ideal trade partner. You know, I'm looking at the guys who are benching someone that's Kareem Hunt level. <laughs> um, although I don't really want Kareem Hunt. Excuse the cough. All right, Sam. That that's going to round up our football analysis for this week. Um, I do need to stress to you guys, if you need to hear something, you know, if you need to hear about your Packers or if you need to hear about your Giants or whatever it is, you let us know. Okay. Because I, I may mock you now. I may mock you then, but we'll definitely talk about them for you. So with that, let's go into the division series. This just finished up uh, on Friday, I believe. Huh? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, last game on Friday. And one of the first times uh, in history, definitely the first time since 1960-something, that all four games were clinched on the same day. As we had um, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Rays, as well as the Astros, all clinching on the same day. Wait, how can Um, that be? What do you mean? Because the Rays-Yankees was game five. I thought that was the only game that day. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was the that was the uh, wild card series that we saw. That I, I apologize. You're right. Because we had the Rays on the ninth, the the uh, Astros on the eighth, Atlanta on the eighth, and the Dodgers on the eighth. So we had three or four on the eighth. Um, do you want to start in the National League or the American League? Let's start in the National League because it's it's a bit more boring. I, I would agree with you there. So. In the National League, the Dodgers took care of the pods in, in three straight games. It was a sweep. Um, game two was really close. It was a six to five game. Um, it, it involved two runs in the ninth inning by the pods to get it to a one run game. Joe Kelly came in and was, man, he was nerve wracking, but he took care of business. Uh, and then the Dodgers closed it out with emphasis in game three, yeah. 12 to three. Um, what did you see here? Well, game two must have just been so def- – ooh, Ozzy Albus just crushed, crushed one fell. Uh, oh, oh, no, I'm ahead of you, so I'm ahead of you. So. Uh, game two must have been so deflating for the Padres after they, they fought back in that, um, in that game uh, only to be done away with the bases loaded by Joe Kelly. Uh, one thing I will say about that game is it points to – maybe the one weakness in the Dodgers, which is like, can you trust Kenley in these big spots? Like, I feel like there's so many years of evidence of him just like kind of imploding in the playoffs. But I actually think that like, that's what Dodgers fans would say back to you right now is we don't need to anymore. We have a lot of guys. We have Blake Trine and we have Joe Kelly. We have um, Pedro Baez, who at times has been unhittable this season, believe it or not. We have Floro. We have guys who who can close games out at the end of the game. Um, I worry about him in late inning situations, and I extra worry because I know that Dave Roberts will keep putting him there. But they have guys to shut games down. 
can I can can we one other thing we forgot to talk about in this series is well now now I'm blurring what game this happened in. What was the game where where Bellinger made that incredible rob of of Tatis's two run homer? I think that was game three. Yeah, okay. And that was yeah. That was the best play of the playoffs so far. Manny Margot challenging it today with an unbelievable cartwheel catch into the stands, fell about six feet onto a runway after tripping over the stands with runners at the corners and two gone. Um, But Bellinger with the two run home run, Rob, that was an amazing, amazing play. So I want to talk about what happened on that play. Incredible, incredible play, obviously of the former MVP to the, maybe the brightest young star in the game. So just there's all the star power, all the stakes, because the two-run homer would have taken the Padres from a run down to a run up. Just as exciting as a play can be in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Brewster Gragarol, the Sorry, Dodgers, it was game it was game two. It was that close game. It was or, game seven. Game. Yeah. It was in the seventh inning, but at that point it was a one run game with runner on second. Yeah. Two outs. As as I said, as exciting of a play as you can see. Brewster Gratterall, the Dodgers pitcher, is, oh, yeah. is he's absolutely hyped. He takes his glove off, he takes his hat off, he throws him on the ground because he just saw one of the greatest plays you can see in the fucking MLB playoffs. Like that's what these guys look for. Manny Machado, who is like the epitome of like the let the kids play movement, he hit a home run earlier in the game where he took the bat by the by the barrel in his right hand. Tim Anderson style. And tossed it, like, as obnoxious as the bat flip as you can make. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it. Go ahead. You hit a huge home run in the playoffs. P- pimp it with a bat flip. But then yeah. Manny Machado is out here yelling at Brewster Gregorol as if he's allowed to show his emotion, have fun with a big play, but the pitcher on the opposing team is not. And it was absolutely bushly. It made, yeah, me, I agree. it made me fucking hate Manny Machado. Like, shut the fuck up. Go back to the dugout. I loved Max Muncie. You could read his lips coming out of the dugout yelling, get the fuck back in the dugout. You yeah, look. yeah. Um, eat Mookie Betts, who's about the most even-keeled guy in the world, was even yelling at Machado because he's this was such a loser Bush League move. Well, he, yeah. I agree with that characterization because I know Mookie, but... What he was doing is he was not looking at the Padres dugout. He was waving his hand saying, get back in your dugout, get back in your dugout. Like that is to your point, as hard as Mookie's going to go at an opponent, because he is just like, I don't know. I was about to use the word class act because that's like how it's traditionally been referred to. I don't think celebrating and getting hyped and like defending your team is not a class act move. I would just say he is even keeled. I think your description is right on target. He's a guy who like takes it very, takes his highs pretty even, takes his lows pretty even. Um, But I agree with you. This is something Machado's done in the past. The rules are different for him, he thinks sometimes. You know, he does whatever he wants, but he's also going to take exception to a team doing what they want. And like, I get it to an extent because you're being competitive. You're heartbroken. You're down one game. You're trying to tie it up. You just thought you had the game, the go-ahead home run go over the fence and Belly brings it back. You're frustrated for sure. Um, But you have to 
if you want this game to evolve in, in your likeness, basically, because he is one of the architects of the Let the Kids Play movement, you have to respect the other team celebrating in whatever way they're going to do as long as it isn't rude or um, infringing on you in some way, which obviously the hat throw and the glove throw were not. They were thrown towards his own dugout. Um, just frustrating to see really a, a bad look for Machado. I agree with you. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, okay, so that was that series. Dodgers kind of reaffirmed to everybody that they are the powerhouse here. Um, the Braves, thank God, made quick work of the Marlins. Um, they looked really good. Their pitching looked great, throwing two shutouts. Their bullpen looked great. Um, but how much can you take from this series? How much did you take from this series, Sam? Because at the end of the day, they were playing a bad team. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 like you said, you know, I'm not sure how much to take from it. I will say I've been generally very impressed by the Braves pitching outside of Max Freed through the entire playoffs. They haven't lost a game yet. Um, and that, I mean, that's this team's weakness. Like their lineup is insane. So if, if they can keep pitching like this, like the Dodgers who are, you know, I think far and away the best team in baseball are going to have a battle on their hands. Um, and that's what they have right now, by the way. Max Fried has kept them scoreless for another inning and, a, and two-thirds. It's now the top of the fourth. Atlanta's still up one. They got a runner on second with one out after Dansby just had a stolen base. So you're right, Sam. The pitchers are hot right now. And we said the same thing about the Marlins. And the Marlins pitchers really didn't throw that poorly. But uh, Atlanta threw better, and they're hotter, and their offense is better. So the Dodgers shouldn't expect to walk through this series. I, I don't think it's a sweep situation. Yeah, and I, you know, I personally am uh, – what, what – how about, like, instead of doing the ALDS, let's just talk about the NLCS now because we're on the ML. Yeah, um, sure. So now we have Braves-Dodgers. Yeah, so the Braves are up one nothing in the, in the top of the fourth in game one. I think this is going to be just a great series. I've said this to you. I'm personally rooting for the Dodgers in this series. I just feel like for 10 years, they've been one of the best teams in baseball. They do it the right way as an organization. They're just, you know, yes, they're, they're the big market, but they, they build talent from within. Like there's so much homegrown talent and, like, I just think this organization deserves one. Yeah, I mean, I would agree and I, with And you. I fucking hate the Braves, but I mean, that's a Well, I was about to bring that up. I think that's the bigger issue here. But I would agree with you from the stance of, like, equity, I guess, that the Dodgers definitely deserve one right now. You know, they've been to the World Series, what, three years in a row now? Well, they no, they didn't. They, the Nationals made it last year. Oh, sorry, sorry. So they've been two of the last three or three of the last four, something like that. They've been in the playoffs consistently for a number of years. If it's anybody's time, it's the Dodgers' time, quote-unquote. But I don't know. I, I just like this Braves. And I don't. I, if I had to pick right now, I'm taking the Dodgers. But I just like this Braves team, man. They are – you want to talk about an organization doing it the right way. The Braves do it the right way. They have these guys like Nick Markakis at the bottom of the lineup who's up right now who have 
you know, he didn't play great this season, but he's still a guy you feel really comfortable coming to the dish towards the end of a game for you because he's a professional hitter. You have good fielders all around. You have exciting young players. I'm disappointed that this is, despite how hot they are, that this is the rotation that we're seeing from the Braves because at the end of the day, it's so hard to keep up that string of really hot starts, which is what they have going right now. Especially um, and- against this Dodgers lineup. Like these, like Max Fried's pitching today, so let's put that aside. But outside of Max Fried, like, are we really going to expect Ian Anderson to carve up the Dodgers lineup? Like, I'll tell you, I'd be shocked. I would be shocked if Ian Anderson comes out tomorrow and throws another gem, but he's off back-to-back gems. And sometimes when you just got it working, he's on a regular schedule. He's going on five days rest. Sometimes when you got it working, you just have it working. And maybe, oh man, Nick Markakis stares at 97 down the cock. And maybe, maybe they can. I don't know. We'll have to see. Can I, um, can I ask one more question about the Braves? Please. Which is how quickly has Ronald Acuna Jr. gone from being like kind of like maybe one of the more overrated players in the game to, like, a little underrated? Like, why is no one talk about him anymore? Oh, see, I-, I think that's your confirmation bias, Sam. You're a guy who has always been low on Ronald Acuna, and I think your reasoning is sound for that. Um, I don't think the baseball world ever stopped being like Ronald Acuna is amazing and so fun to watch. I don't think anyone ever like threw that out the window. But I I guess my point is I kind of feel like we're acting like what he did this year is just what he's been doing. Whereas what I see is like, he's a different, more patient hitter this year. Like he took another step this year. And I don't think people are mentioning it partially. I think because like Soto also took another step to like God status. Yeah. And Tatis and Tatis had this breakout. So Acuna was kind of like old news. But like Acuna's just had the best season of his career. Yeah. I mean, by all metrics, yes. But at the same time, it's still two hundred and two plate appearance sample. Like But but the walk the walk percentage, which is something that is going to stabilize much faster. Basically, the walk percentage was, was good this year. It basically just doubled. And if you had a complaint about Acuna, it's that he was a free swinger. You could get him to chase. And now this year he walked, like, at the rate that, like, Bryce Harper and, and Joey Votto do. Like, but, Sam, if you look at his XWOBA, which, to remind all of our viewers, encapsulates walks, as well as as good contact. This is not the best peak of his career. It's not the widest peak of his career. In 2018, he both peaked higher and sustained it for a bit longer. He's also had two other peaks that are at this level. And you, his graph says something very clear. If you guys check it out, if you go to Baseball Savant, look up Ronald Acuna and go to breakdowns, you can see this. He has a lot of dips, so he's definitely streaky. But the dips are less wide and lower than his peaks. And remember, he he started, like, absolutely awfully this year. Right. He couldn't touch the ball. Right. And 
but what you see this year is that he had that one dip that was basically the start of the season. And then he got hot and he cooled off, went to normal levels a bit, but never dipped again because there wasn't enough time. That's what I'm saying when I'm talking about sample size. And I'm thinking this is statistically his best overall season, but has he been, besides for the walks, which are important, has he been a substantially different player? I don't know. Yeah, I guess what I want to say is that what I see out of, you know, the walk rate jump from 10% to 18%. What I see there is a, is a guy with like insane, you know, bat speed and power eliminating a huge weakness in his game. Now he's still striking out a lot. He's still striking out a ton. Almost 30%. But if if he if he can be a high on base guy with his with his insane damage when he makes when he makes contact like that's the guy that we've you know that's his peak which is an mvp and sam just to to pile on here as in the field for outs above average which is a counting stat in 2018 he had three in 2019 he went down to minus one so he was actually a below average fielder in 2020 he had two in however many games he played in you know, 46 games. That's, that's a good sign for him if he's able to put that together and stay there. And I think the big difference for him this year, less games in left field where he's just not as good of a fielder. So yeah, he's great. Yeah. So with that, let's, let's go to the AL. So in, in one American league series, uh, the Astros uh, won three, one over the Oakland A's. Uh, I call it. Did I double call it? You, you did call it. The Astros just look like the beggar team all se- all series. Like it was not really close, to be honest. Yeah, I know that the A's took one nine seven, but it just was not really close. And the Astros were a team that, you know, with all the stars in their lineup, did not hit all that well this year. And, you know, it was sixty games, but. That's not been the case in the playoffs. They're sort of hitting like we expected them to. Or at least they have been. Yeah. Well, yeah, now they're, they're already down 2-0 over the Rays, and they're, the Rays' incredibly deep pitching staff has, has sort of – And in two, in two really low-scoring games so far. Yeah. No, totally. Uh, but then, uh, like, do you have any other points you want to make that about that series or you want to talk Rays-Yankees? No, I I do want to talk for a second because it's worth looking at the A's. You have to ask yourself here as the A's, where are we? We keep kind of making the playoffs either as a wild card. This year we won our division. We like the pieces we have. We know we didn't have Matt Chapman, but the clock is definitely ticking here. Where are we? What do we have to do if we actually want to compete for a World Series? Because I don't think that they've really ever been a contender during the stretch that they're on right now, where they've had very good teams, but um, have been a little disappointing. And I think the answer to that, if there is one, is that they either need to develop or go out and get some starting pitching. Because in this series, their starting pitchers were not particularly good outside of um, maybe Chris Bassett. But no, not even Chris Bassett. 
None of their starters were good. Bassett had a 6.75 ERA. He started one game. Luzardo started another, had an 8.31 ERA. Sean Mania started another. He had an 8.31 ERA. Both of those pitchers giving up four earned runs and four and a third. They need to do something. And Luzardo may be great. You know, they still may be able to develop um, Puck as well, AJ Puck. But they cannot win. They have great defense. Their lineup can hit. It could improve a bit, but it can hit. If the A's want to compete, they really need to fix their starting pitching because just a way too much of Mike Fires, Mike Miner, um, and Chris Bassett, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. The 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 pitching staff was their was their big weakness, and it's what did them in in this series. Um, but let's talk Yankees Rays, which was a great division rivalry, the only series to go five games. It was an awesome game five. A it was a ama- it was an amazing series. It was so much fun to watch. A, a pitcher's duel between Garrett Cole, who the Yankees went out and got this offseason for this game, and the Rays using their pitching strategy, which was just throwing a bunch of arms because they have about 40 that are good. No, but Sam, that's the crazy thing is that in this game five, I would not even call it the Rays using their pitching strategy. They go Tyler Glass now on two days rest. Yeah, fair. Tyler Glass now on two days rest. He's able to go two and a third. Nick Anderson, their closer, the guy who got the save today, goes two and two thirds to go from the third inning to the end of the fifth. Peter Fairbanks, two innings. Seventh, Diego Castilla, two innings, ninth. This is a performance that, and we'd have to do some research on this, Sam, and we should. I cannot imagine four pitchers have ever combined to finish a playoff game without any of them eclipsing three innings. It's just so unusual to be able to ride your starter and a string of relievers for two innings apiece. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and they and they went with all their best guys, basically. Um, and they even is, is is Peter Fairbanks one of their best guy? Like this is the point of the Rays. They're so insane. And they and they had um and they had Snell and Morgan up in the bullpen for yeah. The- they were both warming up and they were ready to go. I think they were ready to go with their best guys. Kevin Cash says, I'm going to ride Peter Fairbanks, a guy who coming into 2020 had a career best ERA of 5'11 over 12 innings pitched in 2019. Coming into 2020, he had less than 22 innings pitched in the big leagues. And Kevin Cash says, well, you know, he's looking good right now. I'm going to ride him. And so what does he do? He just goes ahead and gives him two innings of one hit, no run, one walk, three strikeout baseball. Yeah. When you're cooking, you're cooking. And the Rays right now, uh uh-uh. I don't want to deal with them. I heard today on the Fox pregame, they were showing odds. And I only say this because it's funny and applies to the way that we address um, you know, looking at uh, odds and looking at sports betting. The Rays have the best odds to win the World Series right now of any team, better than the Dodgers. That's and Frank Tom- 
I know, I know. Frank Thomas goes, oh, well, I just can't believe that. I, I can't believe the Rays would have the best odds to win the World Series. Frank, they're up 2 nothing <laughs> in their series before the Dodgers have played. The, the biggest obstacle to you winning the World Series is getting to the World Series, buddy. And there are two games closer than the Dodgers are right now. Uh, and that so be careful when you're listening to these guys on TV. Are the Dodgers the better team on paper? I think so. Do the Rays have the best chance of any team in baseball right now of winning the World Series? Oh my God, it's not even close. Yeah, and let's just talk about that game five as well, and that they got the big hit out of Mike Brousseau. Who is that? They got the big hit out of undrafted corner infield utility man, Mike Brousseau, who pinch hit for everybody's favorite player, G-Man Choi. And just, he pinch hit, you know, like the sixth inning or fifth inning or something. He goes a cool two for two with the game-winning home run off of an Aroldis Chapman, like 101 mile an hour fastball. Like, absolutely squared this thing up. And to give you guys some context here, we're talking about Peter Fairbanks not having a whole lot. Brousseau had 142 plate appearances in 2019, which was his rookie season. He had six bombs. But what's he going to do for the Rays? He's going to get put in the right position. He's going to come up. He's going to do his best to execute. And he got the pitch that night. This team's dangerous. And and then the I think the other note, on the Rays is that Randy Rosarena is now Barry Bonds. Uh, no, Randy Rosarena, Barry Bonds never did this in the playoffs. <laughs> Randy Rosarena is unconscious. Somebody go wake this man up. He has not been awake for weeks. So a little bad news out of game five, folks. Aaron and I both got in on a little Randy Rosarena plus 1050 to Homer and the Rays to win parlay on DraftKings. Oh, man. Why you got to do us like this, Sam? We see Randy get one. You know, it looks like it's going out. And little old Brett Gardner, wee Brett Gardner, goes and robs it. Heartbreaking. God. Oh. Like the shortest outfielder in baseball. <laughs> Absolutely heartbreaking. The ball was over the fence. And what do we get? Boob kiss. Squat. We get nothing for a great bet. Folks, Randy Rosarena in the ALDS. I don't know if you guys are ready for this. He only had 19 ABs. But he made sure to put up eight hits. All right? That's good for a uh, just an easy, no problem, 421 batting average. Of those hits, three were bombs. 
So now all of a sudden, this guy's homering about one out of every six ABs, which is Barry Bonds at his peak. Uh, you know, he, they're all solo shots, ironically. But he walks once and he only Ks four times. So this is a man who had an OPS of 1371, second only to the legend himself, Mike Rousseau, in that series. And wow. He's looked really good, Sam. He's continued to look good. He had another bomb last night. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely a guy who looks like he's an emerging star in this league. Um, and, you know, I think we've already sort of said it, but I think, you know, especially being up 2-0, the Rays are big favorites to move on from this ALCS. I think they're the better team. And Rays, I'm, I would love to watch this Rays team in the World Series, like doing things creatively. Uh, that you know, talk about organizations that deserve good things to happen to them. They're they're a team that's been at the forefront of pushing the game of baseball forward for a couple decades now. Well, a decade and a half. Um, yeah. And but but I do think Sam, this is the coup d'état of the analytics revolution. This is a team that, as constructed, is good could get a wild card spot really doesn't have any business winning the world series and they're on a good track. Yeah. So before we move on to um, talking about Whitey Ford and Joe Morgan, um, quick news is that the White Sox fired. Uh, well, wait, Sam, Sam, before we get into that, don't you want to talk about the matchup between the Rays and the Astros? Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's, we, we can delve a bit more into it. Yeah, sure. So, to me, and we're already two games in, so we're sorry to, to be a little late, but to me, this looks like a very close series. You know, today's game was four to two. Last night's game was two to one. So the concern has been the Astros pitching. They've done a fine job. Where are their bats? Silenced by the Rays pitching staff, who's just obviously been incredible so far. If the, Ray, if the Astros want to turn it around, what do you think they need to do? And don't say hit better. You know, like if the Astros really want to turn it around, what should they go out there and try and do in the next game, Sam? I mean, I know you said don't say hit better, but it's but it's hit better. Like like at, at some point, what you gotta say about these these playoff series is these are two good teams, you know, and it's seven baseball games, and you love to come up with some you know, story about why one team and why one team lost. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's two good teams playing seven baseball games and one of the teams is going to win for them because of luck, you know? I mean, there's some luck, but to me, Sam, it's actually, and maybe I shouldn't be castigating you because my answer is even more abstract than that. If the Astros need to, if, if they want to win, and this sounds crazy because they played this whole series with a chip on their back or whatever. They need to focus up. Two errors today was the difference in the game. Four total runs for the Rays. Only one's earned because Altuve boots two balls that I've honest to God never seen him do. He's only had two errors in an inning in his career before, and it was in his first season. And it is indicative of the way they're hitting. They're chasing out of the zone. They've gotten a bit unlucky for sure. They've had some balls go to the track, but they're chasing out of the zone. They're rolling some balls over. If they want to win, they cannot give an inch to this Rays team. 
This Rays team is buttoned up tight. They play everything right. They had a pass ball today, which really was a wild pitch. And uh, Joey Wendell threw one away from third base after making like four amazing defensive plays. They're buttoned up. If the Astros want to win, they need to focus up at the plate. They need to take their walks when they can get them. For sure, they need to take their walks when they can get them. And they need to attack pitches that they know they can drive. They got to stop fouling out. They got to stop rolling over. And they need to tighten it up in the field because two errors today was the difference. And that game basically seals their fate. Like, I have no confidence that they can come back now. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to win four out of four out of five. five. Yeah, Yeah. that's hard. Uh, Four out of six. No, no, four four out of five. Four out of five. Perfect. Um, All right, with that, let me get to the the piece of news I was going to talk about, which is Rick Renteria very surprisingly being fired by the White Sox, who had sort of a, a surprisingly good season. I think when we did our award picks, we both picked him as our AL manager of the year. So what yeah. do you think about this move? Well, and honestly, he could still win it, Sam. Yeah. That's yeah. a crazy thing. What I've heard, what I've read, is there were two things here. Rick wasn't thrilled with how much deference the front office and ownership gave to the players. Apparently the front office and ownership put a lot of stock in player opinion. And I don't mean like cared about what they said, like put a lot of stock in player opinion, met with them regularly, overrid his decisions. He wasn't thrilled with it. The other aspect is that some of the players believed he was not, I don't want to say hard enough, but he was not in control enough of the clubhouse, which to me is weird because baseball is kind of moving in this direction where teams want their managers to be buddies with the players and to be, you know, a peer who sees the struggles and who celebrates the triumphs. Rick Renteria was not that, but tried to be that. And some reports now are saying that that's part of the reason he was canned. My personal opinion is that's all news fodder and that they just saw Alex Cora and AJ Hinch on the open market and said, these are the two best managers, two of the best managers we could possibly secure for our team. And we should go get one. Yeah. CK Hernandez with an absolute moonshot into the left field bleachers to make it a one run game. Damn. Go and get your money, KK. That was a big spoiler for me. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry, but I got to call it as I see it. The, the emotion would not be authentic, Sam. Um, so on Renteria, and I, I tweeted this today. I don't really have an opinion on if Rick Renteria is a good manager. I don't watch enough of you know the day-to-day decisions of the White Sox to have an opinion on that. And to be honest, like I don't have an opinion on how good almost any manager is outside of the Mets manager because I, I honestly think you got to watch a team every day for like most of the innings they play to really have your finger on the pulse of like what a manager is doing right or wrong. Too often do teams have a surprisingly good season and attribute that success to their manager rather than their players arriving a year early or their players just being good, or maybe they got a little lucky. And they'll stick with a manager to reward them for really something that was totally unrelated to them. Because to be honest, a manager in baseball doesn't matter all that much. They might, they might swing a couple wins over the course of the season, but it's really on the margins and it's hard to really 
even quantify how much this manager is doing. So if the White Sox as an organization saw this season, saw the successful season, but still thought, hey, Rick Rentry is not our guy, and they would know that better than any of us because right. they're, they're, in, they're part of the organization. So if they believe you know, in the front offices, in the front, front office, with all this young talent, Rick Rentry. Front off eye, right? What? Front off eye? Yeah, maybe that's it. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, if they believe, you know, we have all this young talent, we're going to have a, a nice little window over the next few years. Rick Renteria is not the guy who's going to maximize our chances of winning the World Series, then can him. And I and I I really applaud them for being proactive about wanting to go get their guy and not mm-hmm. just saying, hey, we had a good season. We have to stick with Rick Renteria. And that, that has nothing to do with Rick Renteria. I, I have no opinion on him. But I really don't either, to be honest. He, he had a really mixed bag as a coach, yeah. and his teams were very different. It's really hard to say, you know, how he is, I think. But, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess I found it somewhat refreshing for, the, for them to not just be like, hey, we're going to stick with the guy because we had a good year. And, and, you know, I personally was someone who criticized the Mets heavily for they, they sort of randomly made a World Series and had a manager in Terry Collins who I thought was in over his head, and they felt like they had to keep him because of that. Right. Um, any more thoughts on Rick Renteria, or do you want to talk? Uh, no, I just, I just like, I like that take, Sam. I yeah. think whether or not I agree with it, which I, I, again, I truly don't know because I don't have a good evaluation of, of Rick, but um, regardless of my feelings on it, I think your outlook is correct. I think more teams need to be comfortable canning a manager after a good year um, if they see somebody better out there. So I do think if you're going to take him out of the equation, you need one in mind. But the opportunity to get Cora and Hinch, who have both won World Series and are both, by all accounts, very good managers, if there was dissatisfaction with him in the clubhouse, or in, or in ownership, or in analytics, you know, it, it, I think it's the right move. So, so I like that take. Um, but with that, let's get to our tributes here. I don't know what's going on, Sam, but we've had like four Hall of Famers pass away in the last like month or so. I think um, it's more because it's, it's these two guys. It's Seaver. It's Brock. It's Gibson. Oh, so six. Five. Six. There's one more, too. There's one more who we're forgetting. Yeah, but um, let's start with Whitey Ford. Whitey Ford was just short of his 92nd birthday when he passed away a few days ago. Uh, his birthday would have been on 1021. And this is a guy who played through some of the all time great Yankees eras. Rookie in 1951, hung it up after the 1967 season. He ended his career with a 275 ERA and a 271 ERA in the postseason. His FIP was a bit high at the time, it was 326, but in the postseason, it was 269. He had 10 postseason wins. Um, he had a handful of rings, I believe. Uh, and he is just, you know, he won He won only one Cy Young, but he is widely considered as, as one of the best to ever do it, you know? And again, he, he's an older player. He didn't play in 51 or 52 because he was in Korea. Um, after his rookie season, he had two years off, but he led the league in wins, three times he led the league in era twice 
He led the league in complete games once at 18, which again, in today's age is crazy and shutouts twice innings pitched twice. He was a good player. He's a hall of famer. Um, and, and it's good to reflect on these guys. I'll, I'll note that, um, the Yankees, I mean, obviously recently they've had like Clemens, Musina, Pettit, Mariano, some, some great pitchers who are at least borderline hall of famers, but a lot of their legacy has been that of hitters. And I feel like Whitey Ford was sort of their main sort of legendary pitcher for mm-hmm. many years. I would, I would agree with that. Uh, so just sort of the pitcher of the greatest organization in sports for, for many years. And um, yeah, it's, it's sad to see him go. I saw the sports Pope, Mike Francesa uh, do a segment uh, earlier. He did a reunion show with, with the mad dog uh, this week. If anyone's uh, interested in going checking out some of the audio. Uh, but he, uh, he talked about how he used to live down the street from Whitey Ford, uh, really important information from, uh, from Francesa who mm-hmm. never likes to tell his celebrity connections. Um. Oh, if there's one thing he is, it's, uh, <laughs> it's buttoned up in his personal life. Uh, but with that, let's move to definitely the better player of, of the two people we're going to talk about, and that's, that's Joe Morgan, who, you know, I was looking at his, his page today, and I remember him as this, as this member of the big red machine, like a legendary Reds player. And, you know, if you look at his – his run with the Reds from 72 to 76, he goes 8.7 war, 9.5 war, 8.6 war, 11 war, nine and a half war, and then goes 5.8 in 77. That is an insane, insane six-year run. Well, and he was 5.4 in 71 with the Astros. Yeah. and Just before the start. But, but what I was going to say is, like, I didn't really realize how many years he spent on the Astros before going to the Reds. I mean, he broke in with the Colt 45s. That should tell you yeah. something, right? Broke in with the Colt 45s, had like six or seven, six seasons with the Strohs. He had uh, eight seasons with the Reds and went back to the Strohs for a sec, two with the Giants, one with the Phillies, one with the A's. But what I personally will always remember about Joe Morgan before we get into his stats, I love Joe Morgan because in the backyard playing wiffle ball, besides Chuck Knobloch, who was my favorite Sans imitate. I loved the little back elbow twitch yes. that he used to have. Yeah. Used to put him together to keep his shoulders loose. Um, and boy, could he hit the ball. I mean, he was a slap hitter who was able to put up t- over 20 home runs four times in his career. But, you know, he ended his career even with some down years at the end of his career at a 271 average. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, where's that? Where's that OPS? He had a 427 slugging. They're going to make me do it myself. He had over an 800 OPS for his career um, and a 135 career WRC plus. I mean, this guy was a premier hitter for his age. Almost almost 100 career war as well, which is, I mean, that's on the on level. um, uh, Baseball reference, he's over 100. But on fan graphs, you're right. He's at a 98.8 war. Um, this is, this is truly one of the greats. And when you talk about great second baseman, it's so weird because in today's game, as Darno just rips a double, the Darno fan club is back, baby. <laughs> I, oh, I, but it got, he hit it too hard. It got to the wall too fast. It's only a single. I, I hate how you're acting like, like you're a Darno fan now. Oh my God. I'm the biggest Darno fan in baseball. So 
it's funny because in today's game, we actually have a bunch of really great second basemen. And we don't think about second base as much as it has been in the past as a weak position. In the past, second base was typically your second weakest offensive position on the field behind catcher. This was a guy who was going to be a light hitter. Um, And so with that in mind, the all-time greatest second baseman, in my opinion, in order, are Rogers Hornsby, Jackie Robinson, Nap LaJoy, and Joe Morgan. Yeah, and one other thing about Joe Morgan is that he was only five foot seven. So yeah. he was the original Altuve. Um, yeah, five seven, one sixty. So most of our male listeners out there who are adults are larger than that. I mean, that, that is that's literally my size. Like, yeah, I'm a little like yeah. And Sam, I'll be honest, plays softball a bit like Joe Morgan. Loves yeah. to rip that ball to the right side of the field, grab some extra bases when he can't um plays plays shortstop plays on the other side of the keystone but um so you know we're just losing guys left and right and i think it's a good opportunity if you are an avid baseball fan and you've never done this i recommend it as strongly as i could recommend anything if you are kind of a, a fair weather baseball fan or like you like baseball but you just like listening to us banter or whatever um, still try this out because it's actually really fun sometimes. Go look at some of the all-time greats. Go look at some of the old guys and just look at how their stats differ because like even Whitey Ford, who nobody questions is a Hall of Famer and is like one of the, you know, is probably the best Yankee pitcher of all time besides Mariano Rivera, I would say. Um, he honestly, in his career, did not even sniff eight Ks per nine. And he never even got close. He finished his career with five and a half Ks per nine. But this is one of the all-time greats. And so understanding the way the baseball's evolved, seeing some of the crazy stats that exist. If you've never done this, go look up old Haas Radburn and tell me what you think on the next episode. Like, these are fun things to see. The game that we watch now has a long, long legacy and a long history. And I think to fully appreciate it, it's good to understand those things. Yeah, def- definitely agree. And, I, you know, obviously it's been a sad thing watching all these legends die, but I've at least definitely felt like I've learned some stuff about some older errors from, from talking about them on the podcast and, and learning some stuff about their careers. Definitely. And I, and I hope that in our small way, you know, for our 20 listeners or so that we do justice um to these guys because really they are titans of the game and you should go listen to what some of their teammates and people who played with or against them have to say because um just really you know really iconic figures for us so thank you guys for joining us it's been another wonderful episode um i just want to remind you you've heard a lot today you've heard about basketball you've heard about football you've heard about baseball and if you want to hear something at the alonzo bet on twitter the Alonzo bet at gmail.com. We're always answering emails. Our, our box is flooded by Vince from New Jersey, but if you send something in, we'll make sure we see it. Um, we look forward to hearing from you guys and we'll be back after the championship series signing off for this episode of the Alonzo bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Have a good week, folks. <laughs>